you'll turn in your Bibles to Luke uh, chapter 1, verses 39 to 56. This is the start of our Advent series leading us up till Christmas. Should be page 856 in the Bibles in front of you, or underneath you. Right, but the, the premise of this series is we're going to look at the songs of Christmas. Whenever uh, the news of Jesus' coming came, everybody broke, broke out singing. Uh, Mary, the angels, Zechariah, Simeon, so that's, that's what we're going to look at over the next coming weeks. And then we'll jump into Colossians uh, starting in the new year. So let's read Luke chapter 1, verse 39 to 56. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is, he, is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked down on the humble estate of his servant, for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud with the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty, and he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is God's word. He has spoken to us today in love, and it is true and trustworthy. Let's pray. Father and our God, may we explode in song and joy and praise like Mary of old, because her story has become our story, that you have considered us in our humble estate. So we pray, Holy Spirit, to come. Do your work of connecting our hearts, our minds, our lives to the, to the story that we just read here in our passage, that you might teach us, correct us, admonish us, encourage us, comfort, and change us today. So we, we ask that you would come and do your work among us. Uh, right now we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of the things I've, I've heard repeatedly getting ready for this time of year, and we alluded to it in the prayer, is everyone gets ready for the holidays, there's just that distant, sad reminder that, that the holidays are hard for many people, for all of us in some ways. I mean, there's the, there's the exhaustion of just that unnamed pressure to rejoice because we sing it all the time. And I'm going to tell you to rejoice here in a moment. <laughs> uh, it's busy. Everybody wants to get together. There's all kinds of activity. We're, we're missing our loved ones. 
Uh, there's loneliness and winter apparently is a month longer now. <laughs> I mean, it feels like we're in, in January. And so it's into that bleak midwinter that, that the Christmas story comes, uh, to calling us to rejoice. And it's, a, it's a hymn that Melanie uh, just taught me and showed me. Uh, in the bleak midwinter, it, it takes that Christmas story, that, that angst, that gloom, and puts it in terms we all in the Northeast understand. <laughs> Snow. So listen to these lyrics. In the bleak midwinter, the frosty wind made us moan. The earth stood hard as iron, water like a stone, and snow upon snow, snow on snow, and on and on it goes. And it paints a picture that this is life. Uh, this is life in a fallen world. Life is hard, and it keeps snowing, and it keeps snowing, and it's, you get buried, literally, this past week. Except when you come to the text and you come to Luke, when you start reading the gospel, the good news, right, it's just filled with songs. Uh, this deep, resounding, comforting joy that's screaming and shouting at you to get your attention, to get you to join into their joy. It's an inv invitation to sing the songs of Christmas uh, as, as we, all, we just did this morning. Right, it's Mary's song, My soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices. Her song is inviting us to do the same, to say, the Lord is great, my spirit rejoices because of what, what took place in those days 2,000 years ago. Because right? Mary, in a lot of ways, she's, the first, she's not the first believer in God, but she, she is the first Christian to believe this good news that's proclaimed to her. And she sings. Uh, she rejoices, even though it's still gloomy outside. In, in ordinary life, even though things are still hard. Even though she's going to have to deal with shame, rejection, suffering, and death. She still sings. All right. So her song that we're going to look at here is, is inviting you to join her song, even in the bleak midwinter, to, to rejoice. Because as she became a literal temple, God with her in the womb, we, we get to become a, a temple as well, which gets us to rejoice. And so... That's my question this morning, and we're going to let the song just speak to where you are at, is, is how, how does Mary's song draw you into the joy of Christmas? And, and how does Mary do that and teach us? All right, we're going to be taught by a, a young lady. Right, she's probably 12, maybe 14 years old at most. And she has, a, well, she, she has a lot of depth to her, so there's someone to learn from. So first point... The first thing Mary does as you jump into this is she, she sings of God's character. Right? When you're at Christmas, we're called to, she doesn't sing about herself and her benefits first. Her, her attention goes, yay, me. Right? My soul magnifies the Lord. My soul's rejoicing. But then all of a sudden, she talks about he. And God becomes the focus of the rest of the song. Because right? the, the Christmas story starts with teenage Mary. We didn't read it, but she was visited by an angel and says, you know, don't be afraid. You're about to be graced beyond your imagination. O favored one, the Lord is with you, and you will conceive and have a son, the Son of the Most High, who will sit on the throne of David and rule forever and ever. The Holy Spirit will come and overshadow you, and the child will be called Holy, the Son of God. And Mary says, let it be so as you have spoken. And where we pick up in the story, she 
she leaves her house, it says she hustles, she makes haste to get to her, her relative's house, to Elizabeth, who's also miraculously present. And as they have this whole interaction, it's fascinating. Elizabeth is rejoicing because her child is rejoicing, and then Mary just bursts out into song. And it's, it's beautifully crafted. It's filled with deep, rich theology. She understands the scriptures. Um, it makes her great as she celebrates Christmas. That's the invitation. All right, when, when Mary sings of the character of God, as she magnifies him, as God becomes bigger to her eyes right now, uh, it also makes her a bigger person. She gets tied into a bigger story. She gets connected to the history of, of God's people. She becomes magnified as she magnifies the Lord. It's the invitation to become a bigger person internally, a bigger hearted, uh, become bigger. Right? Because before an angel showed up in her house to convince her that God was real, she had all kinds of knowledge in her head. That's very clear from the song. She knows the scriptures. I mean, a lot of her song comes straight from 1 Samuel 2, uh, Hannah's prayer. But now that her world has been invaded and this thing has come right in front of her eyes, God came to earth to her, right? She's got sucked into something bigger. She's getting sucked in experientially uh, to the magnitude of who God is, which is why her song focuses on God's character. All right, so if you want to... If you want to grow in your joy as you're surrounded in the, by the, the snow upon snow upon snow, look at God's character. That's what Mary is calling you to do. Her soul magnifies the Lord. All right? <clears throat> I mean, it's an astounding story. And it's, I think there's some irony to it. She is magnifying the Lord. He's seeming bigger to her as the Lord has made himself small <laughs> in her womb. The maker of the stars has become a single-celled human being in her womb. And that's what gets Mary to sing and explode and become bigger. The second person of the Trinity, very God of very God, a single-celled organism, even as he holds those stars in place. Right. And so that's the question. Have you had that kind of experience where it is jarring, it is disorienting, but as you see it, this glimpse of God, he becomes bigger and it draws you to joy. All right, what does she sing about? Well, she sings about four things of God's character. She celebrates God's seeing. Uh, she sings of God's power, his holiness, and his mercy. And all these things come together at the Christmas story. All right, because look at verse 48. Mary sings of God seeing her as a nobody, in her humble estate. Literally, the word is she is at the bottom of the totem pole, so to speak. She's at the bottom of society. She is, she is a nobody. And she's already been told she's graced and favored when she was given the birth story. But here she sings it. God saw me. Right? That the God of grace saw me. And, and she says, this echoes what we saw last week with Jesus seeing his disciples first. Right? God looks at Mary as a nobody from Nowhereville, from someone from a small town. She's what city folk would call a country bumpkin. 
And God saw her and said, that's the one I want to use to renew all things through the birth of my son, Jesus. She was seen. And she celebrates it. And you add that to the reality that Mary's particular circumstance as as a, a young woman in the ancient world where women were not seen uh, as equals. Uh, they were often treated as less. All right. See, Mary was seen and made worthy to be used by the God of grace. It's beautiful. I mean, look at what God's graciously doing. If you know the story, it was Eve who first uh, bought the lie. And in, in Israel's history, what, what, what happened is Eve... And well, Adam let her do it, so he took. The, he should be taking the blame. But what men did was the same thing Adam did. He blamed his wife. And for centuries, at least for in in Jesus's day, women would lead the funeral procession. Right? They would be the ones, even if they're grieving someone they lost, they are out in front symbolizing women, woman. You brought death into the world. Shamed because of Eve. And then the curse that 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 labor and and pain are going to come with childbearing, uh, pain and growing. It is a curse. Slavery to pain and death experienced specifically in this process to bring life into the world. And Mary, being a woman, is seen by God as an instrument to begin to defeat evil, to undo the curse that began back in Genesis. He's blessing a woman through the curse to break the curse. And that is a beautiful thing. He's going to use Mary to make his blessings known as far as the curse is found through the son that is in her womb. All because God saw her first. That's why she's rejoicing. And I think as Protestants we need to uh, just be comfortable saying Mary is an honored, exalted, graced, and favored woman whose faith is something we can admire, cheer for, and learn from. And not be ashamed, right? We don't pray to her, right? She's not, we don't talk about saints the same way, but don't miss out on the fact that God saw her and used her and the writers of Scripture hold her up as an example of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. He sees you, and then he comes, and he dwells with you, and he preaches the gospel to you. Blessed is the one who believed what the Lord had said would happen. That's Mary. If you grew up in the Catholic tradition, it's also helpful to hear Mary's confession of sin in the song. Did you catch it? She's not this immaculate, perfect person that God said, yeah, there's the one. She's the worthy one. Now it's time. No, she's, she's a sinful, humble, broken Sinner like you or me, she celebrates in God her Savior. That's part of her humility. She says, I need a Savior. I need God to rescue me. I need this child within me. I mean, ultimately, she's going to make that profession of faith. I need my own child to die for my own sins. See, Christmas, part of what we sing is God has seen us in general as human beings in the bleak midwinter, but then as, as individuals, God sees you the way he sees Mary and comes after you. Right. Second, Mary sings of God's power. 
Verse 49, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. Mary is blown away by God's omnipotence, as you would be if you were uh, immaculately having a child. <laughs> right? She's blown away by the power that it would take for the Holy Spirit to start a new creation in her womb uh, without a man being involved. And that, that this child would be significant. And I know this is, in our modern age, it's one of the things uh, that gets tossed out, the virgin birth. But... God has done great things for her, what, what Elizabeth called the impossible. He humbled himself to become a single-celled human being in order to redeem and renew every aspect of humanity right down to the very beginning. God became human. <laughs> he did the impossible. Mary celebrating the power of, of him choosing to use her. I read an interview with a guy named Nicholas Kristof from the New York Times, and he, had, he, was, he was talking with Pastor Tim Keller, one of our Presbyterian pastors. And Kristof says, you know, I love the teachings of Jesus, right? I honor him, I deeply respect him, but the virgin birth, really? He can't get his mind wrapped around it. Because he's not doing what Mary's doing, which is celebrating God's power, uh, his mighty the mighty things he's able to do from heaven here on earth. Right? He wants a God who's tame, who just tells him what to do. <laughs> and if, if that's all you're asking for, you're not going to have the same explosive joy at Christmas. Because right? the virgin birth is no less astonishing than the God who said, let there be light. And there was light. Right? New creation power. So Mary, when she sings, she's singing of God's mighty power to do the impossible. She's celebrating that God's omnipotence has become personal for her. And that's, that's what's going to melt our hearts, is seeing, uh, knowing that the God who comes to us at Christmas, if he is that mighty, that power, powerful, what can't he do in your life to heal some of that gloom? this Christmas season. Because when you're in the depths of despair and doubt, it's going to be God's power and His might that pulls you up out of the pit and plants you on the rock, who is Christ, to get you to taste that joy again. See, Christmas gets you to sing of God's power. Uh, the virgin birth, that's what it's about. Uh, third, she sings of God's holiness. She says in verse 49, not only is He mighty, but He's holy. Holy is his name. Right. Mary sees God's holiness as something to rejoice and sing about. I mean, just let that sink in. Because holiness is about God's purity, uh, his otherness, his high and lifted upness, uh, the fact that he is not like us. He is holy, holy, holy. As R.C. Sproul was fond of saying, the only attribute of God that is stated three times in a row is God's holiness. It's trying to get your mind wrapped around that there is no one like our God. There is no rock. He is holy. He is, he is the only one. And as a holy God, he's against what causes the bleak midwinter. He's against evil. He's against sin. He's against what tears us apart, what ruins us in creation. He's against injustice, all of it from 
the lies from those in power to the manipulation that takes place during the week in our homes. Right? God is holy, and his holiness is against evil, and yet Mary's singing about it. She's magnifying the Lord. He's, she sees him as greater because he is holy. It's who he is. She's singing that the unapproachable God is near, and she's rejoicing. How does she do that? And I think it's because she keeps going, because she also talks about mercy. You need seeing, you need God's power, you need God's holiness, and you need God's mercy all to come together. She knows she, knows she needs a Savior. That's how her prayer starts. See, mercy is God's kindness. It's the fact that he chooses not to give us what we deserve because he is committed to us. Those two, two ideas come together in this word. Right? Includes his forgiveness, absolutely, but mercy is God's inclination, his desire, his willingness, his pleasure to withhold judgment so that he can be Emmanuel, God with us, so he can come to you so that your joy may be full. And this is what makes holiness then freeing. Because if God just came in mighty in a mighty power and as a holy God without mercy, we would be doomed. But if holiness is about God's otherness, what other God is merciful like our God is merciful? His mercy is for anyone who fears him from generation to generation. What other God in the real world works like this, who draws near because of our flaws, <laughs> to rescue. Right, what other God um, comes near despite our cruelty, despite our mismanagement, despite our selfishness, because of our inability, he comes to be our Savior. See, part of God's holiness, his uniqueness, every time you see about God being holy in the Old Testament, Mary seems to have, getting, have some simple understanding of this. It's when he's, he's saying, I am holy, I am unapproachable, but I'm here. <laughs> he's still drawing near to those who's offended him. Right. And so Christmas, it's the time to celebrate that God's mercy, his holiness, his power, uh, the fact that he sees you. Uh, he's coming to give you mercy. Because we need it. Right. You need to see how these things work to come together as God in a person. Because when you see dysfunction in someone else, does that make you want to draw near or run far, far away? <laughs> when someone else sees your dysfunction, do they draw near or run far, far away? Or power. I mean, just in the way human relationships work. I mean, how often do you see someone with immense power hanging out with a nobody simply because they want to? Wealth tends to separate. Power tends to separate. The success tends to separate people from those who are failures. Holiness, if you have a perception that someone is better than you, well, sinners and saints don't spend time together because I'm going to be judged. But in the God of Christmas, all these things come together. And Mary sings because he's come down. His mercy is for any who would fear him. 
And he gets Mary to sing. Have you seen that picture? <laughs> that he has looked on our humble estate, that he has done great things for us, and holy is his name and his mercy for any who believe, all who would fear him. Admit you need a savior. All right, so Mary sings of God's character, and that's what consumes most of this song. Right? And then it gets into God's reversals. These, I'll, be, I'll be shorter here. We've already talked about one of these. This is really cool of how God, the one who's high and lifted up, uh, the one who fills all things, has become a single-celled organism and a human being in Mary's womb. Right? We also see here in the song that uh, Mary's celebrating um, just how God, from the outside, works in our world. I mean, she starts celebrating real-life things that God does. Verse 51, he, he shows strength by scattering the proud. He bring down, brings down the mighty from their thrones. He exalts the humble. He fills the hungry with good things. It's saying this God is deeply invested into human life. Right, this is how he was before, and Christmas is going to make this clear. It's how he's always been. See, Mary sings of a real-life, historical God who cares about your real-life, historical midwinter. And this reverses all of human expectations. Because we start having conversations, or maybe this is how we feel, is we always feel like I'm stuck in here alone, and for me to get God, I have to work really, really hard to get up that mountain. You know, I have to work my way outside of my mess. And Christmas flips that upside down. It's God breaking in from the outside. He's, it's the high and lifted up one caring about whether or not the poor have food. It's the holy, mighty God coming down. It's telling you, Mary's singing what that, that because God is a God who scatters the proud, this is something that everyone will have to respond to because this is real. <laughs> it's a historical event. It's, it's uncomfortable, but it, it, it's, it's God coming down to scatter your thoughts or to draw you in, one or the other, but it's a real confrontation. This is not a sentimental song at all. We listen to what God did outside of time. He steps into time to lift up the humble, to humble the proud, to gather the humble and scatter the proud. See, Mary isn't just having a, a single, isolated religious experience. She's having something that is exploding outside of her for others. And she gets it. She's saying mercy is for anyone who fears his name. He is the helper of Israel. He's remembered his mercy. He's going to keep doing these things. Right? I mean, there's a, there's a great example of how this works from the scriptures. In the book of Daniel, of how God works in real situations, how he takes the mighty from their thrones. You remember Nebuchadnezzar? Right? In the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon, and, and this is what's the, the, the challenge of Christmas, because Babylon in Daniel's day was the, the heart of the world power. They had the biggest kingdom, they had the biggest army, they were the most feared, they were the most hated. Feared and hated because they kept winning violently. Right? They stomped on their enemies without mercy, and at the head, at the top, was Nebuchadnezzar. 
And God warned him in a dream and said, If you do not humble yourself, I will humble you. If you don't stop magnifying yourself in your thoughts and start magnifying me, you will experience humiliation. And so, of course, one day Nebuchadnezzar is doing what kings do, walking on the roof of the palace, feeling pretty good about himself. And he's out looking at his kingdom, he's out looking at his work and everything he has accomplished and says, is this not great? Look at Babylon that I have built. <laughs> that I have built as the royal residence. That I have built by my mighty power for the glory of my majesty. Which he's saying, <laughs> I look good and everything I do looks good. Aren't I great? Which we don't say out loud, but we live like it. Well, soon after that, Nebuchadnezzar contracted some kind of mental disease called boanthropy, <laughs> where he had this inescapable desire to go out in the field and eat like a cow. It's, it's, it's an actual disease. You can look it up. He threw off his royal robes and lived in the fields. He would eat grass like a cow. His hair grew long. His nails grew thick like talons. He looked like an animal just showing him what he was acting like as a ruler. He was acting like an animal, just devouring other people. Right? These are things that happened in his thoughts. God heard his thoughts and scattered him and brought him low. See, Christmas is that kind of message that Mary is getting at. God brings down the mighty from their thrones and lifts up those who know they are nobodies. saying, humble yourself and ask for mercy, or you will be humbled. Ask for forgiveness, ask for grace, but it's an outside, it's a God who's outside who cares what happens here inside. And Mary also thinks, sings of God's upside-down kingdom, and this is, God cares about people in ways that are surprising. Right? She sings about God working in human history, but she also sings of, of those, the upside-down nature of those whom God cares about. Look at verse 53. The God who fills the hungry with good things and the rich he sends away empty. Right. It, it flips it upside down. Who do you think God would come to if he wanted to use somebody to change the world? You would think he would come to those who have everything. Because they have the power to change things. They have, they have influence. But the, one of the messages of Christmas, and that the poor always hear, is that God's love is for those who do not have, those who lack. Those who know that all they need is need. They're the loudest singers of Christmas, and they don't care whether they're on key or not. Because God sees them when no one else in the world sees them. One of the first times I sat down to read this song and, and really think about it was because I was partially because it was homework. Uh, I was in Tanzania with Houghton College. We're in East Africa, and I'm living with a local family. Who and when the husband's there, he spoke English, but for much of the time during the day, we spent with the mama, and she did not speak English. Right, so we were sleeping on the floor of a mud hut. We were woken up by a rooster at 4 a.m., uh, 4:15 and 4:30. <laughs> Um, but this was her daily reality of, of just living in an unseen place in a mud hut 
in a small town in East Africa with no electricity, no plumbing, no running water, who every day had to sweep the dust out of her house, uh, out of a house made from dust. The meals we ate were three days, uh, three meals a day of ugali, a type of porridge, and beans. Right? It's a humble existence. And so how do you think she would hear Mary from a small town, the message of Christmas, saying, God sees my hunger and fills my belly. And the rich, those who don't want to share with me, they will get theirs. The rich he will send away empty. I mean, in an African culture, his husbands would often eat alone, and women and children would eat the leftovers. It's one of the things the gospel changes in African families. They eat together. All because God sees the young, the poor, the needy. Right? He flips our expectations upside down. Because, because that's who, that's, those are the people he loves. He comes to the humble. It's a great social reversal. So don't miss it. Right? Luke will not let you miss it because he takes away the, the, the spirit. Right? He says, blessed are the poor, when he quotes Jesus later. Blessed are those who are hungry. Blessed are those who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are those who do not have, because those are the people that Christmas is for. God's turning even our material world upside down. To, he's going after us, of course, who have money. <laughs> he's saying, do not, all that you have is a gift, so why would you use that to push away those whom God is telling you to see? God's kingdom is upside down. He helps all the wrong kind of people according to the world. He exalts peasants. He doesn't prop up princes because God is after humility. Why? Well, what's the message of Christmas? The one who was rich made himself poor for our sake so that we who are poor might become rich in him. And he did that as the God who fills all space... No space can fill this God, and yet he comes down into our world in order to die on a cross, uh, to, to rise up on the third day, to give us an unshakable hope, to fill the hungry with good things, uh, to, to remember his mercy that he promised long ago. See, that's, that's what Mary is singing and celebrating about. I told her she's packed a lot in here, and we're just trying to pull out some threads. Mary looks at the God who scatters the proud, who gathers the poor and hungry, and she sings to you. It's teaching you to see. Who are you going to look at this Christmas? Those who, who lack. And if you do not lack, it comes as a warning. I'm saying, are you able to admit in humility that you have need, even today as a Christian? Conclusion here. Mary sings of God's character. She sings of these reverses and reversals, and, and it ends with just this reminder, uh, her song, that God has helped his servant Israel, and in remembrance of his mercy, just as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Mary sings of God's promises, and that's, that's where I want to send you out rejoicing. Right? She looks back and says, God saw his mercy promise long ago 
And now it's true because of what's happening to me now. Right. That's what melts the heart. That's what's going to lead you to sing in the bleak midwinter that while all else seems gloomy and dark, the God who promised in Genesis 3 to, uh, to, to send a death slayer, a son who will undo all evil, that, that will come true. And it, it started at Christmas. The God who promised to, to Moses that there will be a better teacher, a better prophet, a better priest, a better king, someone who will... Well, get people, God's people to actually listen. <laughs> right? That is true. The God who said to Abraham, you will be asleep when I do what you can't do, and I will obey for you, and I will die for you. In Genesis 15, that is true. Uh, that, I mean, Mary packs, packs in all the promises of the Old Testament that we don't have time to go through right now. And saying Christmas is the fulfillment of that. Remember that God's mercy that was true Yesterday is true today and will be true forever because of the Christ child who will come. It's the true story of God's mercy, his desire from before the beginning of the earth to dwell with, with human beings, to dwell with you, Emmanuel. And the way to get there is to put yourself in Mary's shoes. Say, I have nothing, I need a savior. Lord, consider me in my humble estate. And what happens is God will say, Blessed are you, <laughs> O graced one. That's what the rest of the songs are going to help us see. That the God who sees you will come and give you mercy, and you too, like Mary, will be a favored one. And maybe you, you too will sing with her. So come and magnify the Lord, and may your spirit rejoice as we, uh, as we enter in this Christmas season. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we got to see the, the beauty and the depth of the faith of Mary, and I pray she would teach us uh, to, to celebrate you, who you are, to celebrate what you're doing in the world, and to celebrate what you've done uh, in the person of Jesus. So I pray you would come personally, as you have promised, uh, to turn our gloom into light this, this winter. Uh, that we might see Jesus afresh, anew, and, and you would sustain us with the joy that only Jesus can give. We pray this in his name. Amen.